Hello everyone, and welcome to Now You're Playing With Power, a Nintendo podcast. My name is NBZ, and this, my friends, is episode 25. We're a quarter of a way to a big old 100, and joining me uh, in this uh, episode, of course, my co-host, as per the usual, is Bally. Hi, NBZ. I'm still in sunny Florida, uh, enjoying a bit of a vacation just now, as you Americans call it. Yeah, <laughs> vacation all I ever wanted, as uh, the Rugrats uh, cartoon uh, did uh, tell me back in the day. So uh, you know, it's 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 one of those uh, words that not is used in the common vernacular of our English uh, is, but uh, you know, it's, to celebrate uh, the quarter of a century that we're on, I decided to take a vacation. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, we have been doing some games and stuff in the past couple of weeks, and we're going to talk to you about them. But uh, before we dive into that, Bally is going to tell you about what else we have uh, coming up in the show. As usual, we are going to talk about what we've been playing. We're going to get into some of your emails. And then for part three, we are going to talk about gaming magazines, and in particular, an old favourite of ours that is sadly shutting down is ending their run and that is um the british magazine official nintendo magazine yes um used to be called nom yes the nintendo official magazine and then it was rebranded because their publisher changed and and there was a lot of stuff going on in uh in that time but uh it sadly has come to an end you know uh we both neither of us have been subscribed for years at this point but uh they hit 114 issues which is very admirable and if you're going uh, did you pick up that final copy for me i haven't actually oh, no. found, i haven't found it in the shops i did i looked at tesco that's a good shout actually i bet a lot of people are trying to pick it up right yeah and uh, i i looked in the big big tesco right next to me and it wasn't even there so uh, i'm gonna keep continuing my search hopefully i'll, I'll find a final copy um but yeah we'll, we will get into that we'll get into gaming magazines because we have a lot to say about it lot to say so um we're gonna start this week as we always do why let's not break tradition we've done it 25 times in a row so uh bali how about you tell us what you have been playing in florida so i have been continuing the backlog uh trolling through that backlog and it does seem to be a theme of 2014 both of us uh just picking into uh, the old games that we need to clear out and another theme of 2014, it has been an ambassador game. So I am talking about Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. Exactly. Um, so I'm quite lukewarm about this game um, for a number of reasons. Bally, what is this? You're supposed to love every Nintendo <laughs> yeah, game. You're a complete fanboy. What is this nonsense you're so, telling me? I've only ever played Canvas Curse before in terms of Kirby games. and. Yes. I love that game. I think that's a really innovative game. It was one of the the main uses of the DS um, hardware at the time, and I lent it to you afterwards, and we both really enjoyed it. Quite a short game. Oh, I, I adore Canvas Curse. I actually beat it in that weekend. You lent it to me uh, on the Friday, <laughs> I think, and by the time it was Sunday night, I was done. I was like, wow, because, you know, back in those times, I never beat games, like literally never beat games, and I had gone through yeah. the entire entire thing, and I, I adored it, I think. It's really interesting time when it came out, because the DS hadn't quite established itself as a platform with the sort of innovation that it's known for, you know, looking back now. And I think that one of the tent poles of, uh, you know, starting to 
bring those innovative titles was Canvas Curse. It was really just a breath of fresh air and justified the system entirely. So it, it was great. Yeah, no, it was great and can't wait for the... I keep forgetting the name of it. Rainbow Curse. Rainbow Curse, exactly. Um, but let's go back to 2004. Okay. Um, for Amazing Mirror. And, okay, so there's, there's a number of things that hit me the instant I played this game. Um, the first thing is, like, Kirby feels so goddamn floaty. Like, well, it, the, it is uh, just so... What are you saying, uh, Valley? Of course he feels floaty. He's fucking Kirby. Uh, like, come on. I, like, I had a, not, a few issues with Yoshi's Island and the way that Yoshi platforms. Um, but I did get used to it. And in the end, I felt it worked well for the game. Kirby just, <laughs> like... Okay, so he has an infinite jump. Yes, um, we know this. To... If you press the B button while you're in the air and holding, you can you're actually holding air every time you jump. He he fills up with air. When you press yeah. the B button, he spits out the air, and it's actually like a mini projectile weapon. And then you lose all your buoyancy and sink back to the floor. Um, this is quite weird to try and get used to because you basically go up much, much, much more slowly than you come down. You, I mean, you rocket down the second you release that air. And it's just a weird system, and it's not helped by the fact that Kirby feels like a really, really, really big hitbox. So, and I even want to say his hitbox feels even bigger while he's inflated with air. So you're just kind of weaving between enemies at times, and it just, I don't know, it just feels weird. Um, So that was the first five minutes into the game. Then, really? Wow, okay. <laughs> Bad first impression, yeah, I Yeah, I mean, visually and musically, I think the game's great. It, it's sprite-based, it, it really... Yeah, you know, Kirby games are always going to be colourful. They yeah. always have a, a really wonderful palette that they, they can draw from because it's supposed to be kid-friendly and happy and clappy, you know? Yeah, so. and as a Smash Brothers fan, I I know all the music. I, I know some of the, the Kirby lore, as it were. Right, and... of course, and Sakurai <laughs> being someone who used to work yeah. at HAL, you know, a lot of that influence still seeks yeah. to, you know, that's why in Brawl, you know, King DDD and Meta Knight were featured so prominently because Sakurai had worked on Kirby games in the past and he's a big proponent of, of Kirby and, uh, you know, you see that now with the new smashes, Kid Icarus Uprising, what do we have? Oh, three Kid Icarus characters, you know, that's, that's how he works. So. Yeah, so, Kirby doesn't feel great and I thought, alright, he doesn't feel great, doesn't matter. I'll just work my way through these levels and maybe it'll grow on me. Um, but then I realized that, and I've, like I said, I've not played many Kirby games, just Canvas Curse, and that's got very specific levels that you, you're, out a, you're at a menu and you click on the level and you get from A to B and that's the level. Like, that's how it works. You come right, back to the It's more of a menu. traditional platforming setup where you just go from 1-1 one, one to 1-2 one, to 1, you know, etc, yeah. etc. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you, how is the structure of this game? How's it set up? <laughs> okay. It's really simple to describe. It's like Metroid. It's like a 2D Metroid. Wait, it genuinely what? is. <laughs> okay, let me explain the story because that'll explain the structure of the game. The story... Really? The story of a Kirby game is going to inform oh, the structure? Oh, believe me, it's crucial to the story. <laughs> okay, <laughs> alright, Valley. So I'll go along with you. You're, you have like the mirror world, but you, you're in dream world. There's basically a big problem with the mirror world and Meta Knight, who's a good guy, goes to the mirror world to try and sort out the problem but 
something happens to him. He comes back as like a dark meta knight and attacks Kirby. Kirby gets split into four Kirbys and then has to like find the mirror shards to regain the mirror and go into the mirror world and defeat the bad guy. Anyway. I'm, I'm, st- I'm struggling to understand how this informs the structure of the game, Bally. It informs the structure of the game because you're constantly going between uh, the dream world and the mirror world. So you're going through multiple mirrors in order to regain all the shards. But so, here's the thing. So wait a second. Does this work in a similar way to Link to the Past or Link Between Worlds where you're going you know, from one world to the other? Easily between... No, the... because basically one world is... It's like almost... It's like almost like one world is a menu. So you have all these mirrors and it's a tiny world. It's just... It's just Kirby and loads of mirrors. And each mirror takes you to a different bit of the mirror world. Right. But the thing is that the mirror world is completely connected. So these mirrors in Dreamland just take are just portals to different parts of of the mirror world. Right, okay. And they all link together. So you can actually play the whole game without having to come back to the mirror world, I think. Although I think you you come back to it every time you get a mirror shard. But the thing that's just like Super Metroid or Metroid Fusion, the two 2D Metroids I've played, is that it's just one expansive two-dimensional world where you're getting through enemies and you're getting to corners of the world and in the corners of the world are bosses. And it just feels like a 2D Metroid. It's really weird because... You're you're not completing levels as such. You're ju- you're getting you're going. It's like a spy. It's a complete network of uh, two-dimensional stages that are quite are quite like a maze often. And you, I got lost a lot in this game. Like I had to look at a guide a few times just to realize where I was meant to be going. And I thought, like, for God's sake, this is meant to be like a kids' game. What am I doing wrong? Like this is really <laughs> difficult. So you. You get to like these bosses, and the th- and the bosses. Some of them are really, really, really easy, and others are so difficult. Like <sighs> difficult and Kirby. That's the thing. Like the bosses, many of the bosses take up most of the screen, and your Kirby. So your hitbox is massive, and you just take so long to get to go up and come down. So you just feel so vulnerable. You feel like you have to be even more advanced in in predicting what the boss is going what move they're going to make to avoid them coming into you so some of the bosses took me so many times and and the thing about gaming over in this game is that it is like metroid you will go back to like considerably far back before the boss and have to work your way right up to the boss again and sometimes the boss is through quite an intricate maze or there's a specific door you have to go through and just trying to avoid damage on the way, exactly like you would in a Metroid game. You're just like, okay, I just need to get through these enemies, get to the boss, defeat the boss, get the mirror shard. And you're, you're wanting to get eight mirror shards to then get to the final boss. But the annoying thing is, in this particular corner of the mirror world, uh, one route will lead you to the boss. And then the, from... And then from that original route, there'll also be other routes that lead you to these random stars that take you back to the start. I'm oh not even God, joking. They really? take you back to the start. But the idea of these stars is that whenever you get them, it's like 
It's like the equivalent of getting an energy capsule or something in Metroid, because you do this really random little mini-game where you're flying on your star, and you have to get more lives by dragging Kirby through the lives, basically. And then it takes you back to the start. So the good thing is you've got more lives, but the bad thing is you're back to the start. So it's a really challenging game, and it's just quite frustrating. And it's so weird. Here's another weird thing. So you have the L and R buttons. Yeah. The L button at any point in the game will take you back to um, Dreamland where you can go into all the mirror well, the mirror dimensions. So that's what you'd get with the L button. The R button, you have a little battery in the top left. And okay. whenever you hold the R button, it calls upon the, th- the three of the Kirbys to help you out. And I just don't understand when you were meant to use them. I was using them for the bosses, but on some bosses, they just got defeated by the boss instantly, while on other bosses, they basically defeated the boss for me. So it was just this weird... Like, really and the game never told me when or when I shouldn't when or when I should or shouldn't use these guys because they just it was just so random. Yeah, um, that's strange. I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, how is the base platforming and and the kind of the level progression? You know, the the standard enemies you come by and all the powers. You know, there 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 are powers in this game, right? Like a standard Kirby game. And are you using? Yeah. Those? So that was that was an area I did like about this game was the powers. Um, in terms of the structure of the levels. You can do any of these bosses, excluding the final boss, because you have to unlock him with the eight mirror shards. I'm pretty sure, and maybe not including the first boss, because he's like part of a tutorial. But other than that, I'm pretty sure that all the bosses you can do it in any order. Because it's just one expansive world. Um, It's not like a Metroid game in the sense where there's an area blocked off because you need a certain power-up to get there. Kirby can get any power-up he wants almost any time in the game. You just have to have the relevant enemy to suck up and copy their power. And I did like the enemy powers, and it was nice that you can pause the game, and when you're on the pause menu, whichever power you have, it'll it'll give a little description of how to use that power and describe the power to you, which is quite nice. And then as you get to the end of the game, there's a specific room you can go into in the hub world where you can pick any power you like, which is quite cool. You can just like oh, that's useful, float yeah. into it. Yeah. Whichever and your favorite and then just roll through Exactly. That. Yeah. And that's nice because at the end of the game, you can go back through the, all the levels and get all the collectibles to try and get 100%, which I did not bother to do, to be honest. Um, no, I wouldn't so, yes, yeah. that would be a good idea. Uh, I mean, overall, I I did have fun with this game. I think that it, there every I've talked so much in this last 15 minutes about all the frustrations I've had, but throughout all of that, the power-ups are fun. The bosses are well-designed, even though some of them are incredibly frustrating. Um, a lot of the bosses are incredibly easy, which is quite nice occasionally. Um, the final boss is frustrating, but it's not overly difficult. And like I said, the game music, the the, the graphics, they work really nicely. And the level design is good, but Kirby doesn't handle the best. So overall... I'm not loving it, but it is a good game. I'm not going to say it's not a good game, because it is. It's just not massively enjoyable. I mean, it took me about eight hours, and I mean, I probably would have had quite a lot of fun for about maybe five or six of those, but there were just a couple of hours on certain bosses, and the final boss that were just really frustrating. So, (sighs) God, rant over, but yeah. And I've also been playing tons of Smash 3DS, but I mean, I think I've spoken quite long enough. 
Yeah, we've we talked a lot about Smash. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that we'll just f- throw in here and there when, whenever it's necessary to talk about. But uh, it's going to be on our playlist for a while. And uh, I would definitely be be open to more Kirby games. Um, I'm particularly interested in what's the 3DS version called? Triple Deluxe. Um, right, that looks quite. And cool, also, so. but more so, the Wii U version coming 2015. I'm super excited about. Excellent. All right, so uh, from one crappy Metroid game to another, apparently, <laughs> uh, because uh, my friends, I have taken, have taken a backlog game that has been haunting me for the past four years. That is Xenoblade. Other <laughs> no. <laughs> That too. I, it does seem that 2014 is the year of me finishing games that have haunted me for a while. Um, it's Metroid Other M. Metroid Other M. Twilight Princess? Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> uh, so, I got this game launch day. I got this in September oh, 2010. And I played it for maybe two or three hours. And, you know, back then I thought, yeah, this is alright, this is okay, I kind of, I think the cutscenes are kind of cool, you know, I've not really seen this sort of thing before. And then there's this period where I just put it down, and I just don't, don't go back to it. And in between that period of me putting it down and, you know, when I picked it back up again, maybe in late 2011, I had played the Uncharted games. I'd played Uncharted 1 and 2. And those games are incredibly cinematic and they have incredible voice acting and cutscenes and all all that stuff and when I went back to Other Rem, having played Uncharted and having had that experience it just hit me like a ton of bricks how (laughs) fucking awful the storytelling is, the voice acting is and the overall just narrative falls completely to pieces it's terrible. It's really bad. And the, the voice actress for Samus is just the most monotonous. Like, her voice it does not, like, have any tonality to it whatsoever. It doesn't go up or down. It is a straight damn line. It's not going to be deflected by anything. Absolutely. And that's really weird for me because... You know, Samus as a character is is someone who is you never really get too much of an insight into. Aside from Infusion, you know, she doesn't really say anything in the in the classic games. Even in Prime, she's she's very solitary and and silent. And you kind of get the idea that she is this badass and that she is this really powerful woman. And she doesn't need to say anything because she's just gonna fucking blow you out the sky. And then they make her this emotional wreck. And I don't. I don't think it works. I don't think it works whatsoever. It doesn't really jive with anything that I have uh, come to know Samus as. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Do you think earlier you said she she sounds quite monotonous, but then you just hinted that she's quite emotional. Is she, <laughs> is she one or the other? Because I was going to suggest maybe they made her monotonous on purpose to seem less emotional and like the classic character who is silent and you you kind of don't know much about her her emotions really right well that's why this game is bullshit because <laughs> she she talks about being emotional and talks about you know Ridley killed her parents and then you know there's Adam and all this stuff and he's like a father figure but the way that she tells the story is in the the monotone voice so it is this clash it is this horrible clash that makes zero sense mm. and just is feels really jilted but you know I, I i don't want to dwell too much on the story and the voice acting because you know that's an element a lot of people have criticized and i am just going to back them up on that really 
a lot of the problem I had with other M, the controls. The controls are fucking dog shit, and that is like, that's not even an understatement, that is just straight up reality. You're playing the game with the Wii Remote on its side, NES style, right? First of all, using a D-pad for 3D space, I don't know who decided that was a good idea, it's not a fucking good idea, especially uh, with the Wii Remote. In my opinion, I think the Wii Remote's D-pad is one of the worst that Nintendo has. Um, it, it actually makes my thumb like really sore playing for a long period of time. That probably explains a lot of the reason why I had such kind of short bursts of playing this game. Like I couldn't play it for more than an hour or two hours at a time because it literally would physically hurt me. I would be injured by the end and have like a raw mark on my on my thumb because of the d-pad and uh it it doesn't make any sense and i i do understand like they wanted to get this idea of you shifting perspectives because it does go from the standard third person view to the first person perspective by flipping the wii remote in front of the screen it's cool like it's one of those really neat ideas but in practice it just falls apart it feels like one of those things that they grasped onto and they were like oh god this would be really cool if we made a game based around this idea that you know you can just pull out the Wii remote and get into action mode straight away but there are so many problems with that you know Valley you watched me uh, play some of this (laughs) game and and you really felt the frustration that I had like the the swapping the idea of swapping between the the Wiimote on its side to this first person view where you point the Wiimote at the screen and it all of a sudden becomes like a pseudo Metroid Prime kind of uh, point and shoot style. It's just so weird. Um, I mean, I was going to suggest that even last year at E3, Nintendo were making people play with that exact Wiimote on its side in 3D space with those kiosks for 3D World. And so many gaming journalists were just like, Nintendo, why are you giving us D-pads to control right? characters in 3D space? It's like, it feels like they still they would still be up for making a new game with that ability. Like, it's just oh. so strange. But but back to Other M, yeah, that swapping between, a, let alone a D-pad on its side is just horrible. But swapping between that and that first person Wiimote in your right hand mode is just, ugh horrible <laughs> and, and i tell you that the problem with it is you don't have any movement control in that mode you are stuck to the spot like you don't have an analog stick to move around <sighs> and they don't let you use the d-pad and the real issue i have is that it interferes with the tightness of the gameplay and you know is there, it's got some interesting ideas other m does you know it has this idea that uh, you can dodge out of the way of enemy moves by tapping the d-pad it's called sense move and you can literally spam this a lot of the time it makes a lot of the bosses kind of easy because you just tap the d-pad a bunch and samus will just jump out the way and not be scathed and won't be hurt whatsoever um but when you're in first person mode you can't fucking do that because you're rooted to the spot so it's really frustrating when you're finding a boss and you just need to get that one opening right you need the opening to switch to first person mode to lock a missile you have to wait for the missile to load it takes time to lock on and then fire it off and in that time a lot of the bosses are reacting quite quickly so they're able to get off some projectile against you or come up close and melee you and you can't move you have to basically just switch all the way back and then dodge out the way and it just becomes this clusterfuck it becomes this mess that is horrible to handle and is just not not fun it's not fun are there like 
good parts of this game and and i was going to suggest one perhaps would be i know it's got some really classic bosses obviously ridley but even people like i'm pretty sure nightmare from metroid fusion isn't right i actually that was uh my favorite encounter definitely do those add to the game is that those some of the positive points well, I would I'd definitely say that visually the game's really appealing. It has this super, you know, shiny sheen to it. It has it has the look that makes it feel like a much more modern game than it actually is. You know, the Wii, as we know, didn't have the most powerful architecture behind it, but uh, Nintendo gets around that with some style and, and some kind of uh, art style stuff. And Metroid Other M definitely does that pretty well. I think it's a really nice looking game and it has a good atmosphere and aesthetic to it. And certainly, you know, a, a lot of those returning bosses, is, it's nice, it's, it's really cool. But it just comes down to the, the main mechanical problems that you can't get over. You know, it's it, it bogged me down to the point where I didn't want to go back to the game because it was just so frustrating. There's, there's nothing that really is satisfying about the combat because one it's quite easy to pull off a lot of the times and two there's no reward what they did with other m is they stripped out the idea of enemies giving you health back which is so core to the metroid series you know it's part of prime it's part of the 2d games that you kill enemies and then you can get the life back and you'll be able to continue onwards there's no reason to fight enemies in this game you're better to just run past them and get out their way because all you're going to do is just cause yourself more more hassle in the, in the long run as your life gets drained and and goes away i think they did kind of get around that though because they do implement the idea of checkpointing which means that if you die on a boss it's not going to do the traditional metro thing and send you back to a save room it's going to start you from the start of the boss again which is really cool i like that idea because otherwise it would just be a royal pain in the ass and i think they had to make that comp because they removed uh, the energy retrieval system. Um, so, so you know, that was kind of thrown in there. But, um, yeah, it's, it is just... It is a strange, strange game. And it does concern me for the future of the Metroid series because if they give Sakamoto the reins again and let him take on the story and let him, you know, have all this ultimate control over it, I'm not sure it could turn out that well and to be perfectly honest and did he have full control over this one then well in terms of the storytelling and and all that stuff yeah he he did you know ninja um was it ninja team ninja team ninja Ninja, uh who helped with with the game uh you know with the visuals and i think some of the the design aspects but uh it really was sakamoto's baby when it came to uh the overall story plot points and, and that stuff so um i think they could definitely get back to the traditional metroid style which i would really appreciate uh because this one just it knocked the wind out of my sails when it comes to these games and um you know we see so many indies doing fantastic takes on the 2d style and you know i'm, I'm playing a game right now dust and elysian tale which i'll probably talk about uh sometime in the next episode uh which does so many of those fantastic metroid elements really well and i would just like to see nintendo come back to that stuff i you know they've been gone too long from it it's been over 10 years since the last 2D Metroid and 4 years since the last Metroid game in general and you know I uh, I still adore the series but you know Other M is just one of those games best forgotten I feel Do you think it'd be more likely that Nintendo would choose to go back to 2D than 3D because it has been that longer period of time 
Well, I think there was a quote, actually. There was an interview happening uh, around E3, uh, and the Nintendo was saying that they are exploring ways of doing Metroid both in 2D and 3D again. So, you know, some kind of happy accident could occur where we get the Metroid Fusion, Metroid Prime scenario uh, again, where there are two games coming out on the same day. That would be incredible, right? That would be a a way to please both camps. Uh, But I do think they are going back to the drawing board with it and trying to trying to figure out what to do with it next because man other m was it bombed it bombed hard commercially it, it did terribly uh, critically and i remember seeing it like i i paid a full 38 pounds for it when it came out and i remember at least like a month and a half after that it was in a bargain bin 10 pounds it was it was completely off the shelves uh, and nowadays you can find it for like less than five it's uh it's one of those games that not many people uh you know gave a lot of credit to because frankly doesn't really deserve a lot um so so yeah how's metroid i guess uh, i'll just quickly check in with uh, the other game i've been playing which is the fifth ace attorney game it is uh dual destinies and this is on the 3ds uh it popped up in a sale uh and uh, i decided you know what this is probably not going to get discounted any time after, so I'm going to pick it up now, and uh, I did. And of course, uh, it's really interesting, this game, because it isn't available uh, at retail at all. Capcom decided to give it an exclusive eShop uh, debut, and uh, they didn't release a physical copy anywhere in the West. I think it has one in Japan, but uh, to Western audiences, that just that's not available. So, um, you know, it's downloaded onto my uh, 3DS, so I have it wherever I go, and um, I'm really enjoying it. I think it is a really nice uh, way to refine the Phoenix Wright series, and, um, you know, I, I talked about Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright earlier this year, and a lot of the similar things apply. You know, they've taken the art style and pushed it into 3D in a really nice way. The characters look much more uh, real and sumptuous, and they just have that kind of demeanor about them and their expressions are much more realized um it's it just looks really nice in general and um yeah it's it's been it's been a pleasant experience i think what they've done is they've taken the base mechanics and just streamlined things a lot uh in the past in phoenix Wright games when you would go between areas it would be very much interlinked. So, as an example, say you wanted to go to a library. This is during, like, the investigation part. Say you wanted to go to this library that had a murder in it. First, you'd have to go to the outside area of the library to get access to the library, and then you'd go through a bunch of menus to get there. Now they've just basically put all the locations on a list and say, you know what, you can go anywhere from anywhere, uh, just make it easy for you, and you don't have to worry about that stuff. Um, which is nice, you know, it's, it's, it's always good when they... It, take those kind of uh, options and streamline things. There's another really cool thing where if you have accidentally skipped past dialogue and missed it, like generally in these games you can't go back and reread the dialogue, it's done. You're 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 all the way through and you, and you can't go back, but there's this feature where if you tap on the bottom of the touchscreen, it will bring up a big list of all the dialogue that has happened so far and you can scroll all the way up pretty much to like the beginning of the case that you're at and just read through so for example if you put the game down for a while and you can't remember what's happened you just tap that option and you can basically just read through the conversations that have happened uh you know previously which is great it's, it's a good feature and i i think that those games should just keep implementing that for uh, some time to come because uh it's really useful and, and makes things uh makes things easier for me so uh so yeah it's good it's good and um i i know that you are wanting at some point to dip into the phoenix Wright series ballet yeah um, i'm i don't know what, what the best point would be 
to dip in. I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of waiting for some sort of DS virtual console and then I could just well, get the first one. Or You say that. Uh, interestingly enough, the Phoenix Wright trilogy is being released on 3DS. Oh, what? Yeah, it's coming out in December in North America. I'm not sure if there's a European release date yet, but on one cartridge on 3DS, the entire trilogy, the first uh, Game Boy Advance trilogy. This game has been released so many times. It started the original trilogy was on Game Boy Advance in Japan. It was then released on DS uh, in the West. It was then released on WiiWare. It was then released on iOS, and now it's being re-released and remastered for 3DS. So this is like the seventh or eighth remake at this point. But are you going to get the trilogy? I don't think I will. I I I actually thinking about it. I finished the third Phoenix Wright game, like at the very start of this year, and since then I have also played Layton versus Wright, and I'm now playing Dual Destiny. So this is actually my third Phoenix Wright game this year. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to go back and pick up the trilogy because I have it quite fresh in my mind still. But I definitely think that's a, a cool way for you to jump. Yeah, in, perhaps. No and Dual Just Destinies is the fourth game. Or it's the fifth game, if you count, so that right. If you count Leighton versus Wright, no. Okay, so the Phoenix Wright games have a very uh, weird history, oh, I oh. guess, in terms of the number of games. The fourth game is uh, Apollo Justice, okay. so it's a different character. It's still written by Shutakumi, I think, who is the main guy who writes these games. Uh, but Apollo Justice is the fourth game, and then basically this. This fifth game, Dual Destinies, uh, you play as Phoenix, but you also play as Apollo, and then you play as this third character, Athena Sykes, and she's like uh, she's eighteen year old, like lawyer in training, and um, she's basically the new character of the game. But uh, so far, I've played one case as Phoenix, one case as Apollo, and I'm in the third case now, which is uh, a murder happening in a law school, and I'm playing as Athena. So uh, they do uh, jump things around. It's, it's really been a lot of fun so far, and um, yeah, I just think that they've, they've nailed it in the streamlining of it but um but I, i'll probably uh talk a bit more about that uh next time once i have uh properly got through it because I'll, I'll probably try and finish it for the next episode but um yeah that that pretty much sums up uh, the stuff i've been playing this week it has been pretty good i've, I've enjoyed myself and i've also not enjoyed myself but i i am thankful <laughs> that other m is is done and it's out of my way i don't have to do it anymore so it's it's out all right. Uh, anything else you want to say, Bali, before we close the segment? I don't think so. I think I'm going to get back into some Assassin's Creed 4 because I've been away from my Wii U and it, there's an awful lot more game to play with that game, so I need to get back to that. All right. Excellent. Uh, we look forward to some of that coming up, but uh, we are going to take a break here and uh, don't go anywhere because we shall return with some more of your emails. Emails. Alright everyone, we are back once again for the second segment of this here show, this podcast, and uh, we're going to be talking about your emails, which you've so kindly sent to us, and uh, you can send more of them to our email address, which Bali will tell you right now. NYPPQuestions at gmail.com, and yeah, 
we've run out again. It's genuinely looking like we're going to have to do another segment next time. <laughs> if, if literally, if you do not send emails, then we are drowning here in the lack of them. So uh... maybe that's maybe that's a bad idea because now it's an incentive to not send an email so that they so that our listeners can listen to a different segment. Well, I don't know. No, no matter what, we need emails for the future regardless, so just send them in, please. Uh, please do that. That would be appreciated. Anyway, we have some this week, so Bally, how about you uh, get so, going? So the first email. Hey, MBZ and Bally, Brandon from California here. I've been playing Super Mario Galaxy 2 lately, and it got me thinking up a few Mario-themed questions for you both. First, you've re- you've commented before that the live system in platformers is outdated and in- and needs to be abolished from all future titles. I couldn't agree more. Let's say in the next major Mario title that the live system is cut, but since the one-up mushroom is so iconic, it must remain in the game. How would you repurpose this item to serve a function unrelated to lives? Secondly, it's been over four years since the last time I played Super Mario Galaxy 2, and although I knew... I knew it was great. I forgot just how amazing it was over this time. Super Mario 3D World was by no means a bad game, but in comparison, it does come up a little short. Do you think it is possible for the team over EAD Tokyo to surpass SMG2? And if so, any thoughts on what such a game would have to do to compete? Thanks for your time. Yeah, uh, I I cannot agree with him more on, on the subject of Galaxy Two. It is, it's one of those experiences that you will n- maybe never see again. You know, it's, it's one of those game changes, and um, I I wholeheartedly agree that you know Super Mario Three D World. It's not a terrible game. It's one that I didn't enjoy greatly, but it's it's not a terrible game and i just i just don't think it holds up uh, any sort of candle to to I mean, to bayonetta 2 has just come out and it has received the 8th 10 out of 10 from gamespot yes and am i correct in saying was it the 6th or the 7th the 7th the 7th Se- uh... so the last 10 out of 10 that gamespot awarded was super mario galaxy 2 and i played this game earlier this year and i think it's one of the best games I've ever played. Um, it's prob- it's definitely my favorite 3D Mario. Um, and for what it's trying to do, sort of that original Mario 64 format, which I would argue 3D World is slightly different to, I think that it's really, really hard to beat Galaxy 2 because, because like Sunshine, there was it, the Flood is very different to how 64 felt, whereas Galaxy 1 and 2 are a reinvention of 64 and of that format I think it's going to be impossible to beat. So you do not think that the team at Yeri Tokyo will be able to top it? Here's the thing, if they go, if they reinvent it a bit or perhaps go back to Flood, I think they can top it but in terms of no no extra stuff on Mario's back, no extra stuff like that, I think it is impossible to beat Mario Galaxy 2. I do think that if they reintroduced perhaps Flood, there are an infinite number of cool mechanics that they could well, add to that. They don't have to just go back to Flood. Like, they can just no, do something exactly. else, right? They can, they can, you know, Luigi has his own implements with the vacuum cleaner, yes. and, and that was a different thing. You know, they could, they could literally do anything. They, they have 
boundless creativity. That team is unbelievable when it comes to just ideas and, and crazy creative stuff. So they will do something really fascinating, I'm sure. But um... I agree. But that that sort of pure Mario jumping by himself. I know Mario Galaxy 2 has Yoshi, so maybe it's unfair to say that it's as pure as I'm making it out to be. But in terms of that format, I do think it's impossible to beat Galaxy 2. And I think that any other extra stuff, whether it's Flood, a new a, a new item, a new power-up, or something like you suggest, like whatever they invent, I think it'll take away ever so slightly from that sort of pure platforming pure platforming experience in the same way that Sunshine did. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess we should go back to his first question, which is really interesting. I've got because... a great idea. All right. Well, I mean, first, I'm just going to basically say that, yeah, I would I would love to see the death of lives. As it, the, the, the irony of that of uh, can't really be overstated. But, uh, you know, as I said before, games like Super Meat Boy, even like Rayman Origins, do such fantastic work and it, they never get annoying because you are never, you know, pushed back to the home screen for dying too many times. It's just, it's an endless stream and you don't have to worry about it. But of course, as he suggests, the one-up mushroom is a very iconic thing to the Mario series. You can't just get rid of it, right? You have to have it to have some other purpose. So what function would you give it, Bali, if you've got some some idea floating around here? I would make it a checkpoint. Interesting. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it, yeah. Now, the problem with that is that if you go back to something like 64, Galaxy 1 and 2, the game doesn't really even have checkpoints. Well, it does, actually. I guess certain Galaxy levels do have checkpoints, don't they? Because uh, on some of those more linear levels where you're going between lots of very, very small planets, I think that if you do... And they're invisible checkpoints, as far as I remember. So if you die, you go back to sort of the, the most recent planet you're on. Whereas... Yeah, why not make it checkpoints? And I, I guess for something like 3D World, you have the flags. Um, yeah. I don't know if they could be replaced or not, but so I don't know. W- would you suggest that the 1UP Mushrooms are distinct checkpoints that are the same every time you go through the level? Or would you say that when they randomly pop up, then you would encounter one, it, w- it would create a checkpoint then and there? Or there was a, a thing I was thinking about, which is in relation to a game uh, called They Bleed Pixels, which is a Super Meat Boy style game that I've been playing on PC for a long time. It's really hard, and I, I haven't beaten it yet. But um, in that game, you can create your own checkpoint when you want, essentially. I mean... You need to like collect enough uh, whatever whatever the collectible is, and then you can basically stand still on a platform, and it will create the checkpoint then and there. And you can kind of keep it for a while and just place it where you want it. Uh, what kind of function would, uh, um, would you have? I don't think Nintendo would ever go down that route as much as it might be quite nice for them to. So I do think it would remain a fixed checkpoint. And I feel like you would reach a certain point in the level and then the mushroom would appear and slide across the stage in some way or another and it would be it would still be a race against time to try and pick up that checkpoint. And hey, I guess it'd be quite interesting if there was the chance that you could miss the checkpoint and then too bad you go back to the start or something like that. I mean, the, the problem with the, using it as a checkpoint is the levels do have to remain quite linear. Um or I, mean, I guess maybe they don't, and maybe half the fun could be look, trying to find the checkpoint, and maybe that's not actually as fun as it sounds. Maybe. 
but uh, it's a really cool idea. I, I definitely like that. I, I don't really have anything else to offer myself, but uh, I will second uh, your your checkpoint uh, theory. And uh, you know, I don't think Nintendo ever will because they're completely <laughs> mired in uh, you know nostalgia and. But and that I, kind of thing. I mean, I don't particularly mind the lives system in games like. 3D world. Right, and especially when they break it so much with the glitches of jumping on the turtle head and getting 9999. Yeah. It, it does, at some point, it does become completely meaningless. So, I, to some degree, they've already done that. I feel like they they know about those glitches and they put them in the game on purpose. Oh, undoubtedly, and, they're yeah, there purposely. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it takes, it's a bit of a hassle. It takes like 10 minutes to go to the level, get to the specific point, try and not die, bounce on the green shell, for example. But. I don't think have it's that to do hard, it honestly. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. You do it once, and then that's that. Um, I mean, sometimes yeah. it can just happen by accident, like it did for me in 3D World. I accidentally oh, really? did it. Yeah, I pulled it off, and I was like, well, okay, well, I'll just set the controller down for like 10 minutes. I found it quite it. difficult to do the first time, actually. Yeah, I, I found it quite difficult as well, which is why I kind of stumbled upon it. I was like, oh, I managed managed to make it happen without trying. And, uh, you know, uh, it's it's nice. It's It's nice, and it's a cool thing. But um, uh, yeah, uh, very good question. Thank you very much for that. We'll, uh, I guess we'll move on to the next one. Quick question from Fernando in Brazil again. Um, which characters are we going to use in the new Smash Brothers? I guess this means for both Wii U and 3DS. Hmm. Uh, well, we've both kind of uh, said our piece on this, uh, but I would say in terms of our main, main characters... I'm definitely going to be going with Lucina uh, all the way. I think that she is going to be my my go-to character, and uh, I I do want to try some more out and, and try some weird ones out. But uh, she is my number one for certain. My number one is definitely Toon Link. I think both in terms of thematically, I love Wind Waker, obviously, and on top of that, I do think he is my best character with this game in terms of how good I am at fighting with him. Um, I re- I'm getting good with Olimar. Um a really weird character I'm trying to get good with, who, th- which the whole internet seems to be like starting to think is overpowered, um, is Rosalina. Yeah. She's really fun to use. If you like, I've done some some cool moves with her. And I mean, when you get KOs with the Luma that she projects at the other end of the stage, it is pretty satisfying. Yeah, um, and be. yeah. It, so I'm trying to get good with her. Um, Olimar, like I said, Fox and Mario, I'm starting to feel like I'm playing a bit less with just because I don't know. They seem a bit simplistic. And... Kind of bland, right? At this yeah, point. I'm, well, I've I'm been trying... around in every Smash game at this point, so you know, you've got to yeah, try and branch and, out. Like, I'm starting to struggle quite a lot with Mario's aerial moves because they're so different. His forward and back air is quite technical now, but his forward <laughs> and back air are so different um, that um, he's really getting tricky to use. And like I said in the previous episode, I'm, I am enjoying Greninja as well and trying to get good with him. All right. There was also cool. a PS. I. Oh, no, that's the next email. My bad. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Well, let's let's get straight <laughs> on to it, Valley. So it's from World's Boss. What franchises would you most like to see rebooted? And of your picks, which platforms do you think they would be best suited to in the current market? Also, since you've been asking where we're all from, I'm from the UK, not as interesting as Guam, but oh well. P.S. Donkey Kong Trop- Country Trop- Tropical Freeze is a very challenging platformer that is woefully underloved. It's one of my favourite games from this year so i'd recommend it to you guys if you get the chance to play it note it's hard as balls so i guess in response to that ps i 
I think I've now decided. I mean, I'm like I said before, I'm on holiday in Florida right now. But when I get back to my beloved Wii U, I think I'm going to succumb to the European sale that um, they're yeah. doing for Donkey Kong. So I'm going to pick up Donkey Kong Country One and Donkey Kong country tropical freeze on my hard drive i think it's going to cost me about 30 quid in total which isn't too bad for a game that came out like january this year february this year right and considering you're getting a super nintendo classic with it as well exactly i mean i I wasn't exactly planning on playing donkey kong country one anytime soon but it's definitely on my to-do list in the grand scheme of things so i thought why not sure Um, and it'll it'll be there sitting on your wii u for when when you want it so um, exactly Anyway, uh, franchises that we'd like to see rebooted. So when he says rebooted, I kind of imagine that he means like start from square one again and uh, take the character and uh, and the franchise and and do something interesting with it. Uh, What would you like to see, Bally? I was going to say there's there's some franchises that it's just been so long since a game was made that just by making another game, gaming has come on so much that it would automatically be a reboot, such as... Right, okay. Ice Climbers, Balloon Fight, really sort of classic Nintendo games. Right, so you you mean along the lines of what they did with Kid Icarus, where Sakurai just took it and made it it, it completely different, but uh, took the IP and ran with it. Yeah, and you've said great things about Kid Icarus, and he's had a complete 3D character remodel, obviously, and that started with Brawl. It'd be really nice just to see something else classic reinvented and something like that done I mean although we're going to get are there any specific examples you would have from the NES days that you're, you're uh, I guess Balloon Fight was remade in, to some degree with um, I mean you know there was the punch Nintendo out uh, reboot on Wii right that's true yeah uh, more of that kind of stuff I'd really like to see I'm struggling to think of examples I mean you know there is that uh, that old uh, weird game that was represented in Nintendo Land which is Takamaru's Ninja Castle um, yeah, I think Nintendo could do something really cool with like a ninja style game, right? Some sort yeah. of stealth game. Nintendo don't really have anything that fits into that category, I don't think. You know, a full on stealth idea. Or I know that like something like Excite Bike was reinvented on both the N sixty four and then Excite Truck later on the Wii. Mm. What about something cool where it went back to its two dimensional roots? So it was like a, a half two D, half three D game or something. I don't know. Um, Something like that would be quite cool, and uh, customizable stages using the t- the gamepad or something. Even though I'm not a massive fan of that kind of right, thing, but... right, right. And we, I uh, mean, we do know that there's a an Excite Bike track in the new Mario Kart DLC, so it'll be interesting. Exactly, to see what yeah. That looks like see how that plays out. Um, the other one I was going to suggest is 2D Mario. I think. Uh, Given the current yeah. state of affairs, I think that really needs a reboot. I think we need to lose the new Super franchise and just get on and do something else because it is really tired at this point. I want a new art style. I want just different ideas. I want something fresh and interesting. And 2D Mario, frankly, has not been that in the past, uh, you know, past decade really. So I I would love to see them just go back to the drawing board and pull out something brand new when it comes to uh, to those games. It, w- it was a weird one because I mean. New Super Mario Brothers on the DS was a reboot. It, there right. had been like how many years between World? Because that was the oh, previous. Uh... That was previously the the latest game, I think. Or no, right. it was Yoshi's Island, I guess. Yeah, but uh, when really we're talking count. about pure two D Marios, yeah. right? Yoshi's Island it was a very Super different Mario game. World. So there was this massive gap, and then we just got four New Super Mario Bros 
games in the space of like I don't I know, guess ten seven, years or so, eight years, yeah, yeah ten years. years yeah. So it's just it was a reboot that has been rebooted, and that was great. But you can stop now. Fucking sort of reboot thing. it <laughs> again, man. <laughs> reboot it again. Just, yeah, definitely. Turn it into like I don't know, Bit Trip Runner. That'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? Oh it's dear, like, yeah, that was like be Mario crazy. Super High Speed. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Well, uh, good question. Interesting stuff. So I uh, guess we'll move on to uh, our last email. So this is from Klex Yoshi. Dear MBZ and Bally, Smash Run is one of my favourite things in Super Smash Bros. for 3DS. I've played more Smash Run than I have any other mode. More than online, more than local Smash, more than classic trying to beat my head against the wall doing an Intensity 9 playthrough. I love it as a single player experience. I love the dynamic of being tossed into a giant area that you are given 5 minutes to bag as much custom moves, trophies or coins to fuel Trophy Rush in classic mode. I feel that approaching Smash Run for the final event is absolutely wrong. That, That worrying about winning is a secondary objective mode for me where the primary reason one runs through it is to build up their custom fighter moves and equipment options as well as put said custom fighters through their paces smash run kind of has the quasi moba quality to it that i love and it is a shame that there is no online mode but i also feel like the the like the competitive aspect of the mode is the afterthought it's the joy of snowballing and seeing how much crap you can collect then applying said crap to your favorite character after you've completed your run to see if you can do it better and get even more crap which then trickles into other characters since some characters share equipment types choosing what powers will help you with the the most early on so you can kick major ass in such a delight i usually roll with level four spinning blades and whatever level of auto recovery i can manage to squeeze in the weight limit of the character i'm playing at first the lack of options did bum me out but i realized being able to adjust the amount of time in the maze is a balanced thing and being able to set what events come or not hurts that second objective of trying to prepare yourself for whatever the heck could possibly crop up at the end Super Smash Bros. for 3DS has some real problems, such as the lack of options. Coin and Special Smash are completely omitted. You can't choose your number of stocks for Classic. All-Star only has three difficulties. There is no way to adjust the frequency of item spawns, etc. This isn't so much a question as it is a plea. Try customizing your favorite characters in the Smash Run Customize screen, and then play it with your goal being getting better stuff to improve your character. Tweak them and go in again. Experience the symbiotic relationship that Sakurai has set up between the customizable fighters and Smash Run. Please set aside your expectations of it being subspace emissary or some great multiplayer mode aside and give Smash Run one more try. Then tell me if you're seeing where it's coming from. Always correcting Johnny Metz on how to pronounce MBZ. Collects Yoshi. Well, that was uh, it's quite an email. And, an impassioned um, plea for Smash Run. Definitely, and of course in response to our huge dismissal of the, the mode in the last episode, as neither of us see any merit to it whatsoever. Um, I did, uh, after reading this email, I went back and I decided, you know, I'll, I'll try this out and see what I think of it. And um, I, I, re- I, I kind of get where he's coming from, but I just don't see the benefit to it. it like there's the end goal of it doesn't really entice me if you know what i mean like i i, I get that he you know is the idea is to 
go in there, get a lot of stuff, and then re-customize your character to go in and get more stuff to recustom. It's like it's this back and forth to recustomize. But at the end of the day, I'm not using customized characters. I'm not adding like the the capes or the boots or the agility or whatever to my characters when I'm playing because when I'm playing online, I'm playing people with standard stuff, and when I'm playing you, neither of us want to deal with that stuff because it's not really fun and it makes it unbalanced. And so it really is just the confines of the single player in which any of those equipment uh, stuff is being used. So to be perfectly honest, it just doesn't seem like anything that's going to net me benefit in the end. I think the cool thing about Smash Run is it does allow you to get um, you know, custom outfits for your Miis, uh, which um, I'm kind of getting into, I'm kind of getting into <coughs> <coughs> sorry uh, getting into uh, throwing some clothes on my Mii and, uh, and doing stuff with it there, but uh, yeah, other than that, it's 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 just not, it's not for me I'll say it's not for me and uh, I, I, I can't really find a way to make it enjoyable so I don't. I mean, I've been playing Smash Run a bit, and I think at a very bog-standard level, I've been enjoying it ever so slightly more than you, perhaps, MBZ. But like, even so, I, it does feel like it's verging on being a chore for me. And yeah. when it comes to customizable stuff within the game, we were talking about this the other day, MBZ, is that I really love the idea of customizable moves, but... I just do not have the time or patience to start thinking about all the 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 costumes that up your speed and reduce your attack and vice versa or increase your defense and lower your speed or something like that. I just I I don't want to change the the, the genuine weight mechanics of most of the characters. Like I I I am interested in the customizable moves and I know that some of the tournaments are starting to use those moves and I think you can use the costumes in those tournaments as well but it's just another thing for me to think about when if I want to try out customizable stuff I'm going to I'm going to adjust that custom move and then the first thing I'm going to do is do a smash match because I'm not going to want to I don't want to play um smash run using my customized moves I want to play a smash against someone like a match against someone because that's ultimately I always see my game time with Smash as either unlocking some cool trophies or if it's not doing that, then I'm preparing for playing multiplayer matches with people like yourself, MBZ, because right. because that's the most fun you can have with Smash Brothers is the multiplayer. So I see it as like doing drills with my favorite characters, doing some modes with my favorite characters, getting better with my favorite characters. And I don't feel like the customizations you unlock from Smash Run or using those customizations in Smash Run is aiding my quest in beating MBZ at Smash Brothers, basically. Right. So what is the point? That is where exactly. I'm coming from. Like, that is my aim with Smash Brothers, to beat MBZ, have some fun, play online, play local. Yeah. That's the best fun I'm going to have totally. with the game. Absolutely. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so oh, you want to beat yourself as well? Good yeah, I do. I'm yeah. terrible at this game, so yeah. <laughs> clearly. Um no, uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for emailing. As we have said, we do need a lot more of them, so uh, if you would be so kind. If you've never written into the show before, now would be a great time to start. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, send all those in to our email address, which is Bally. NYPPQuestions at gmail.com. 
indeed. So uh, we're going to close out this segment, but uh, don't go anywhere because we shall return for the third and final part of our show, where we shall be discussing gaming magazines, the death of the official Nintendo magazine here in the UK, and uh, many other things surrounding that. So uh, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hello everyone and welcome back to the third and final segment of our show and uh, this week uh, some, some quite sad news hit us. Uh, in fact it is the closure of one of uh, the magazines that really defined gaming for both Bali and I back in the day. It is of course the official Nintendo magazine. Uh, so it is ending its print run at uh, episode, not episode, uh, issue should I say 114. I'm in podcast mode not in magazine mode clearly um, and that means they've been going for a really long time um, if you think about it, this magazine releases once every month, uh, so obviously there are 12 issues a year, so to have gotten to 114 issues, uh, they've been around a very long time. I believe the O&M uh, version of this magazine began at the launch of the Wii, uh, so pretty much the span of a generation, uh, a whole gaming generation, this magazine uh, took Yeah, I mean, I remember when we both bought issue one, and we were kind of like, oh, I don't know if I like the new format or not, and it was was very different. The magazine was a different shape, the content felt quite different, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it was right in the build-up to that Wii hype, where it swapped from Nintendo official magazine to official Nintendo magazine. Right, and I mean, we we should, uh, I guess, start with that, really, before we get into O&M Norm. itself. Let's, let's talk about our sort of origins in gaming magazines. Bali, do you have a memory of the first gaming magazine you ever bought? Is there anything that sticks out to you? I think the first one that I remember reading, enjoying, and like genuinely getting information about games from um, and buying games as a result of those reviews for example would be GBX so this was the Game Boy Advance I think it was actually it actually came out yeah I guess it must have come out just as the Game Boy Advance launched but it was under a different name during the Game Boy Color I want to say I can't quite remember I think probably yeah that magazines did tend to pigeonhole themselves a lot in those days they would (laughs) name themselves after systems which would mean that when the new thing came around well buddy you gotta change so uh so yeah, definitely. Uh, GBX, I think, it still did cover some late Game Boy Color games and yeah. stuff, but it had a major focus on the Game Boy Advance stuff, uh, for sure. I just remember it having a glowing review of a, a game that both of us liked a lot at the time, which was Spyro Season of Ice. Right, yeah, um, the Spyro game yeah, on uh, the Game I Boy mean, Advance. Neither of us actually completed it, and it was a very no. hard game, well... Looking back well, it was it, it was really interesting because easy. it was using like an isometric perspective with kind of Donkey Kong Country style visuals, right? It was yeah. pseudo three D, and it um, also had those top down shooter levels with his dragonfly pet, whose name Sparks, Sparks, right. Sparks, something along those. Yeah, lines. Yeah, so it was like a, it, he had his own separate levels, which were basically top down shooter. Um, 
a top-down shooter game. Um, yeah, it was a really great game, and GBX gave it something like 96, 97%, I want to say. Right, right. Um, they, 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 it's weird and yeah. interesting to me in this day and age, because a lot of internet outlets use the uh, out of 10 review, review score, right? It's like uh, a certain number out of 10. Um Really, in the era of our UK magazines, everyone was using percentages. Percentage was the way that uh, they defined things. And, you know, it's the same thing, right? But it's just the way that they presented it was very different. I would always think of game reviews in the mindset of a percent as opposed to a number out of another number. Yeah, same. And and that's what NOM and O&M both did as well. It was percentages, wasn't it? So, Sure. And I do remember with GBX, it was like uh, one of the issues was uh, the Jedi Power Battles issue that uh, I had. Yeah. That's a game that we both really enjoyed. I remember that issue actually covered Golden Sun quite uh, extensively and uh, gave it a really favorable score. That was the first time I'd I'd ever heard of that game. And And at the time we were like, oh, that looks difficult and complicated I don't right want to buy right that. uh it's, it's totally something i i want to get on virtual console i'm, I'm going to get to at some point um but uh but yeah i i think that gbx really informed the early origin so i guess moving from there into nintendo official magazine um do you remember when you first started reading uh nom valley um probably the build up to the ds i guess or yeah about then i'd say um and it was just it was the main source of ds hype like it was oh, here are screenshots this i can't remember his name tim T- tim something what is his name he was uh, like tim street street yep and there's yeah. like i just remember a picture of him standing on stage playing mario kart ds with other um gaming journalists i think it was at e3 or it, it was E3 2004, I believe, was the unveiling of the DS. Yeah, so they were all invited up on the stage and they were playing wirelessly um, between each other. And this was like a big deal at the time, like wireless multiplayer, right, even yeah. locally, was incredible. It was Of just course, like, because uh, the, the link what? cable had been such a big deal on the Game Boy days. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was, it was a huge... Uh, huge change um definitely and i think uh nom really informed a lot of the news and information and uh you know hype around games at that time and especially when you know the internet was in its infancy um and in terms of you know being able to you know these days they live stream e3 every year and we sit at home and watch it in crisp hd quality back then there was no real outlet to do that or if there was it was very low quality and hard to access so it really the whole idea of, of the magazine was to get across that info and to get across the screenshots to you uh, in a better way than I think most uh, most other internet sources could. Because at that time, for me at least, the only website... I would only ever go online to to read and like watch video content and the only real website I could do that at was GameSpot because it was one right. of, it was the first if not one of the first gaming websites and yeah I mean GameSpot started life as videogames.com so you know they were and, really and it had the like these horrendous quality videos that took ages to load mm. and then like and what you'd be watching like a 2 minute gameplay video it wasn't even like well edited or anything it was just here's some 
gameplay footage of this game that we saw at this thing and you're like and we would just be obsessed by it and like what's that and then and then we'd get all the info to back up these vid these very short videos from the magazines themselves it was a very different way of consuming the media compared to what we do now right and i think you know that issue when they had the ds unveiling is one of one of those magazines that really stands out to me, I, rem- I can still see it in my mind now, like the full uh, page spread of what the original DS looked like, at least the one that uh, was shown at E3, which never was actually released. There was, um, it was the pre-clamshell design, which uh, I personally actually really liked the E3 design of the DS and was kind of disappointed when they changed it for launch. Um, but, you know, those images are really kind of burned into my head and, and uh, you know, made a huge impact. Um, it was also a good source of, you know, finding out things that were happening abroad. Of course, you know, Japan, uh, a big center of the games industry, uh, you couldn't really have any idea of what was going on there a lot of the time because, you know, the internet wasn't, you know, up and running in that way as it is these days. And uh, I remember reading the column on, on Nintendo Official Magazine, uh, you know, the stuff from Japan. And uh, very funnily enough, that column was written by one John Ricciardi, who uh, I listen to every week these days on the 8-4 podcast. And uh, it was this realization that I had upon listening to that podcast and kind of thinking about the name and then thinking, I've heard that somewhere before. And going back and discovering in an old Nintendo official magazine that, yes, this is the same guy, the same guy who's uh, still in the industry uh, is uh, is still around. So, you know, uh, I, I guess uh, a lot of stuff with the, uh, the early days was informing you know uh, us of the people involved in games media and in the games industry as a whole you know the 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 whole start of reggie becoming a thing was was around that time with the ds as well and you know he's kind of defined nintendo uh up to a point here so have you managed to keep a hold of these magazines because i certainly know that i own almost all of my magazines they're just somewhere in my house or my garage somewhere and like in a big box and i i I really feel an urge now to just go and look back through them and read reviews and like and also like you said look up the names of who are writing these reviews and see if i recognize any of them on the internet and see see where they are nowadays exactly like it's really Um, interesting yeah i do i i do own all of them and they they similar to you are packed away somewhere um and yet it would be a really cool thing to go back and and watch and 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 see uh the evolution i guess uh of, of where one went. one thing i've always done like i for example i'm in florida right now and throughout my whole life i've my, my parents myself we're, we're massive fans of america we always come over to the states we must i probably visit the states almost every other year on average yeah definitely you do yeah. and all my time growing up I would always try and buy Nintendo Power when I was over in the States. So I'm yeah. sure all the American listeners know exactly about Nintendo Power. And it was really interesting just growing up comparing NOM to Nintendo Power and O&M to Nintendo Power because it, it's just so... I don't, it's different in a certain way in that Nintendo Power was it felt so much less focused on the reviews like all the reviews would be stacked at the back together and it'd be like a a little column and a score and it wasn't it wouldn't be like it it, to me it didn't feel like they did these massive page um 
right. multi- multiple page reviews. And I, I feel like they did that to try and sell copies of uh, the magazines in the UK. It was like, oh, check out our seven-page review of Twilight Yeah, Princess. exactly. And, of course, the text isn't going to cover seven pages. There's pictures in there. There's loads of yeah. just stats and, and stuff and, and charts and everything. And I, so. I just felt like Nintendo Power was more straight to the point. Um, and sadly, as well... Nintendo Power closed last year, I believe. It did, yeah, um, yeah, it did. So, so, and this, I guess, this is a a big part of this topic is that just how magazines are going to get, and they are have already been swallowed up by the internet, and that it's yeah. basically you have to reinvent yourself, or you're going to sink, basically, because people aren't. There's no market anymore to buy magazines in the same way and right and it's a lot of the problem is the cycle and how quick news happens and how quickly people want it these days you can't you just can't do that with a monthly magazine or even a weekly one because um, by the time it gets to the readership it's already old and uh, and it kind of doesn't have any impact anymore and yeah, it it is a problem across you know a lot of industries at this point. Print media is dying. It is it is on its last legs, and you know in the next ten years, I am pretty sure that a lot of you know even a lot of newspapers will have transitioned to to online formats and and won't be uh, in a uh, print uh, print outlet anymore. And, and so. I feel like a hobby such as gaming, where the vast majority of its fans and users are so young and and online compared right, to connected. a, a uh, hobby exactly. such as i don't know knitting where sure. the vast, where i'm sure a magazine about knitting could probably still survive quite yeah, happily probably. because the the people buying that knitting magazine will be of an age where they will use less internet now obviously i'm making stereotypes here but sure that's just feels like the way it is definitely definitely um so so yeah i i guess uh Going on to O&M and the changes that happened there, um, it was a really interesting time because, you know, Norm had such a kind of, how would, how would you say it, just a really casual tone. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it was never self-serious, and it was it was never kind of uh, straight up. It there was a lot of jokes. There was lots of kind of uh, you know comic style stuff going on, and uh, the transition to O&M was was kind of stark because it was a lot more proper, a lot more chic and uh, sheen, and I guess went along with Nintendo's image as a company, really, and you know how they branded the Wii as this very kind of sleek product that was uh, kind of apple-like and and uh, you know with the white and everything so white yeah everything all the pages there was so much white everywhere on the exactly. cover and the back page and everything so uh yeah how, how did you uh, feel when when o&m showed up at your door in, instead of <sighs> Norm valley it was pretty tough to swallow i'll admit i was re- it was a different shape it was much more square rather than rectangular so it was it, much larger as well yeah it immediately didn't fit neatly with all the other stacks exactly up yeah. so that was irritating in and of itself um the the format the layout w- took a while to get used to but i mean as it went on and as we became more mature as gamers i feel like O&M was very guilty of very favorable scores from a lot of first-party games that were really weak. Um, I'm trying to think yeah. of some. I mean, obvious, the obvious example is the 92% for Red Steel uh, on the Wii U, on the Wii launch, sorry, should I say. Um, kind of infamous at this point. Yeah, and I mean, obviously that's not first-party, but it was. it felt like, oh, 
this game uses the Wiimote and Nunchuck in a really unique, new, interesting way. We'd better review this game highly because then it'll sell more Wii's. And, well, Wii's? Wii's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we never fully established how official it, they actually meant when they said we are official Nintendo magazine. Right, like, I, I never really... Uh, to this day, I don't know if if they had the affiliation with Nintendo themselves the same way Nintendo Power did, or or what the actual establishment was. But uh, certainly, like I know that the staff were very independent, and you know, even to this day, they you know had their own podcast and everything. And uh, I I think that I don't I don't like to think they were influenced in any way, but um, I don't it know. Feels I just honestly, based don't know. on many of the scores, unfortunately, it feels like they were. But I can also see where you're coming from, where they are still independent and had have their own podcast, etc. But yeah, yeah. I I mean, what what was another game? Like, Nintendogs did incredibly well. That I wasn't so annoyed by that because at the time I really did enjoy Nintendogs and would have given it a ninety something percent. Right. Well, I mean, at the time that this was happening, you know, neither of us were completely super aware as we are now uh, in terms of you know journalistic integrity and that kind of thing and ethics when it comes to these kind of things we're certainly not engaged on that level with with uh, the games magazines they just showed up at our door and we enjoyed reading them you know um but i do feel the onm grow me a lot and and i i came to really enjoy the writing and a lot of uh, the editors were really great you know one in particular chris scullion who i still follow to this day uh, a scottish writer who started on onm you know it was his, his first gig in the industry and um he's done fantastic work you know he he uh to this day is on uh, the cvg uh magazine and you know i'm not sure how long that one has left in it but um you know he's he's a great guy and you know it does lead into the first days of us uh, getting onto the internet and using that more widely because you know chris had his own video series which was uh, his own thing and talked about games and uh inside you know, scully and skull it, yeah, exactly. Inside Scully and Skull, it was it was really a lot of fun. That was hosted on Google Video. This was before Google had bought YouTube, uh, so very early, very early indeed. Um, and, so, and, uh, and another thing that we were just talking about before recording was that O and M genuinely was the place where you, as a YouTuber, MBZ, started. Right, and. It's and myself, really, actually. <laughs> it's really kind of crazy to think this because my first kind of foray into using the internet on a regular basis was through the official Nintendo Magazine forums. You know, that's where I went uh, to just find out some stuff and, and, and talk to people about upcoming games. And uh, really, I, I delved into the Pokemon side of things a lot. And, and Bali did as well. And our, our friend, Ali T, who is mentioned multiple times on this podcast, uh, we all got into the O&M forums really big time and, and into the Pokemon sub forum. And, you know, that's where I got my start. That's where I learned about competitive Pokemon and where I had my first ever battles. You know, my first battle ever was against a guy, I'll still remember this to this day, against a guy called Diddy. Uh, it was a three-on-three because I hadn't got my full team together yet. But uh, I, I won it with uh, my, my Yanmega Boost Bug, the good old favorite. And, um, you know, the, the, everything that has happened since then and my YouTube channel and, you know, playing Pokemon competitively and just growing to what it's become and even, you know, having this podcast as a part of it as a, as a, off, a splinter 
all as a result of going to the O&M forums. Uh, and, you know, I owe a lot to that place. I think, you know, it was, it was, it was so much fun to be there. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, you know, informs a lot of the stuff I do on forums in general, though there, there aren't many I frequent, but, you know, I, I like to think I've evolved and, and moved forward into places like NeoGAF and, uh, and those sort of establishments. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a real influence. I guess you could I... argue this podcast would never have started without O and M. Yes, I think that is a takeaway. I think that O and M is the uh, the the forefather to to all things I've done on the internet, and uh, yeah, we can't we can't let that go easily. So um, so yeah, uh, any any uh, memories of the forums you have, Bally? I like yourself. I spent an awful lot of time on the Pokemon forums and with a bit of competitive battling. I do remember sp- spending time on the Zelda and Mario forums as well, and it's just yeah. looking back on it, it, it was it was often quite childish debates and stuff yes, like, of course oh, your favorite is. Mario game, your favorite Zelda game. Why is it your favorite? And then like an infinite. Post, not post, sorry, thread starting with new users saying, Hi, I'm new to the forums. I wanted to start a thread. What's your favorite Mario game? And then right. j- just this whole debate starting. And then that would happen. And people like, jumping on each other. And you know, yeah. it was really our first introduction to hostility on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, with exactly. people backseat modding, as they called it, and uh, and that kind of thing. And, and you know, Or you'd have to in go saying, into a separate bit of the forum and say, would someone make me a SIG? And you'd, and you'd <laughs> get like your signature across the bottom of your profile. And I remember even back then getting um link tune link from the wind waker as my signature um, yes. and someone very kindly made me one that, that looked nice back then well i mean um, bali your name on the o&m forums was the wind, the waker, wind waker for god's sake <laughs> yes. so wearing it very much on your sleeve i'm not gonna lie so um yeah it, uh it was it was a really fun time and i, I just think it was a nice compliment to the magazine because as I guess as I moved further away from reading the magazine, I was spending a lot more time online and, and as a result using those forums quite a bit. And, uh, you know, this was this was where things started to get in motion and E3s were being streamed online. And there just wasn't really a reliance on print media anymore for us uh, in terms of getting our gaming news. And, uh, you know, I, I guess by the time I'd hit maybe the age of 16 or so, I, I was pretty much done with O&M and um, I didn't need it. Uh, anymore it wasn't necessary do you, do you remember when you stopped subscribing to the magazine Bally? it was a little bit before you i want to say i can't quite remember yeah i i, um, I think you did stop before me and then yeah i i think it was i guess just as i was getting into podcasting no it can't have, it must have been before that yeah it must have been before that podcasting i mean listening to podcasts not doing right. podcasts. Right. um so yeah, I don't know. I guess there was basically a gap between listening to podcasts and subscribing to O&M where I guess I was online getting information quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I, but I mean, in my last few years of school, where I was quite busy and didn't really play a lot of games, mainly yeah. because you spent... With, with our school system, we, we spent so much time away from home where you could play games that it became really difficult to fit it in at all. Um, yeah, you did, you did for drop off there for, for yeah. a couple of years um, yeah, um, playing many games. So. And then at university, my first few years, I played much less than I do now, but a lot more than I did at school, sort of thing. 
complicated, but yeah, definitely affected the amount I took in games media. And then I guess during university was when I really, it just took off with listening to podcasts. And now I'm listening to hours upon hours upon hours of podcasts <laughs> every week. And that is definitely where I would say I get the majority of my information from. And it's just amazing how it's come all this way from magazines and specifically nom and o&m and gbx and nintendo power like we were talking about and right. it's just come all the way through to now podcasts and now to this point where we do our own podcast and i know it's crazy inform isn't it? others of some of the news that's about sometimes exactly. so that's really, it's really cool that it's come full circle it really has um so it, it's sad though you don't you think valley it, it, it's it's something that was so inevitable but you still can't help being like oh Man, you know, that was a really special time. It was a really uh, fun part. Of, it's of, very of, sad of because I feel, especially in those final few issues of O&M, when I thought to myself, I'm not reading this. Like, I can get this information somewhere. It, I definitely took it for granted. Like, yeah. the pleasure of sitting. That'd be like the only time in the whole week where I would sit down on a sofa and just open something and just read it and just read it like front to back for like maybe an hour, an hour and a half, two hours and like genuinely just absorb information through pure reading without any screens, without any televisions turned on. And now I'm doing that quite seldom with like, I don't know, newspapers or books and that time of spending it taking in games media because i'm i feel like i'm never ever going to take in games media again via magazine format without a screen without something like that or a podcast so yeah i definitely think that i took it for granted in the last little period and it would be really nice to go back and read some old o&ms and just see what what they're like I mean, there is kind of a luxury to it, right? It's it's all laid out really nicely, and there are pictures, and, and there's, you know, really nice artwork, and it's all well-designed, and it's just in this really beautiful format. But, you know, when it boils down to the pure essence of it, it's it's just really not needed, uh, and it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But, yeah. um, but hey, everything has to come to an end, and uh, O&M is, is pretty much... Uh, pretty much there i think i'm going to very much try and pick up uh one of the final issues i, I would love to have uh the final issue of o&m and i'm gonna try and get one for you as well bally that'd um, be great <laughs> but, uh you know tr- trying to find them is a little bit of a trouble i'm not sure if that's to do with a lot of people knowing that it's the last issue and therefore going out and buying them up yeah or, or if stores are just not being very good at, at even uh shelving them at this point but um you know it's it's something that i do want to do so uh hopefully i'll be able to and we'll be able to kind of uh, you know have a bit of nostalgia by uh, by reading through that. So anyway, uh, I think that uh, you know that pretty much closes out our discussion. It's, it's uh, been a one that we've covered pretty extensively, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed these kind of features. Uh, Tell us if you were an O and M reader or a Nintendo Power, and and how you feel about both of them shutting down and. Yeah, we'd, we'd love uh, some of your magazine changed. stories. That, that would be great. So you can, of course, uh, send all that and more to our email address, which is bally. NYPPQuestions at gmail.com. It is indeed. So uh, as we uh, you know, 
said before, we'll just reiterate it. Keep sending uh, emails in. We uh, desperately need them. Uh, you can also help us out on our quest to destroy the iTunes charts by going uh, over to iTunes and reviewing this very show uh, on on that uh, service. So that would be really appreciated. We have not had an iTunes review, I believe, since like mid-July. So it's been a while, you know. We'd like to get another one out there. So uh, do please uh, go ahead and do that we would appreciate it greatly um, we we like getting those iTunes reviews uh, anything else Bally that uh, you have to say uh, not particularly yeah th- any I iTunes guess we should plug ourselves be uh, before plug we ourselves go. yes always plug uh, ourselves so Bally where, where can people find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Ballyman91 B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1 that is also my name on the Meverse although I have been away from my Wii U as I am on holiday um, I will definitely be uh, tweeting some stuff about the next game I'm playing, which is probably going to be Link's Awakening, although I did say before it'd be Mario World, but we'll see. It Probably Link's Awakening. We'll go with that. Okay. Well, I guess we can look forward to, to some of those Miiverse posts. I certainly will. And uh, you can also find me on the Miiverse, I'm Lord NBZ and at LordNBZ on Twitter. It is uh, very easy to find me, and I recommend you do so because uh, I talk a lot about games and all that fun stuff. So uh, that is going to be us for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We have made it to 25 episodes, and I uh, could not be happier about that. It has been uh, really fun doing this show. And uh, coming up on uh, the year anniversary of, of us beginning it, so that's going to be some, some fun stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, that pretty much does it. So uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. But uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Uh, And goodbye. Goodbye. Music used in this episode was the Ridley Boss theme from Metroid Other M. Copyright 2010 Nintendo. I'm I'm recording. Yeah, so am I. So am I. Actually, actually, actually just started. Oh, this isn't um, the segment we're going to do in an accent, is it? <laughs> yeah. No. All right, Billy. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, uh, my name is Certificate Invisit. I'm going to uh, ask you some questions, and I hope you will respond adequately because then be in uh, in the right place I'd, I'd say I'd say alright alright just on, clap give me, give, give me an accent give me an accent man no come way. on come on throw one at me I want to hear it I'm going to do it. my moderately posh Scottish accent which I'm very good at right go on then pal get to us that's my that's my standard accent right of course of course it is right pal let's get the claps on the go